Today we're starting a brand new series. You can turn to Matthew chapter 6 if you want to turn there. We're starting a brand new series. Um, uh, as a church, we're, 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 I actually debated, I started to call it family traits, and then I thought about calling it the church I see or the church we're becoming, and I finally just settled in on calling it family values. Uh, because we as a church, we are, part, we are a family together, and and we're going to be talking in the next few weeks about what it is that we value. What, what do we value? What is going to shape the decisions that we make? What will be the guideposts for our journey together? And uh, we, we have named five of them. And this is not like an all-inclusive list, but these are five that we have, we have, uh, we have named that we believe are very important. And we're, they're not in any specific order or anything. They're not, there's no hierarchy there or anything like that. But we named five of them. The first one is we value people more than tradition, facilities, or programs, because that's what matters most to God. And we're going to be talking about each one of these. Maybe some of them we'll take a couple of weeks on. But we value people, not, not our traditions, not our programs, not our building. We value people because God values people. Can somebody say amen? amen. Second is we value speaking the, the truth of the gospel filled with the grace and mercy we found in Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We believe in speaking truth in grace and love. There's a lot of people out there that love to speak the truth, but there's no grace and mercy and love in it. And there's a lot of people out there who want to offer mercy and love and grace, but they were afraid that they'll never speak the truth of the gospel. We believe both of them have to go together. And when they come together, it is powerful. And we believe in speaking that, but we also believe in living that truth out in our lives missionally, that God has planted us where we live for a purpose, and as we live this truth out, as we live the gospel out, it begins to uh, cause questions in the minds of other people to arise, and they begin to say, what is it that you have? What is it that's going on in your life? I want to understand about this, this relationship that you have. We, we value the spiritual growth that comes when God's people learn to build authentic relationships where we no longer hide behind our masks. We've talked so much in the past about masks and how we wear masks to church. And we're going to be t talking to get, uh, taking a week or two on that. But we believe that there's great growth that comes when we learn to be authentic, when we learn to take the mask off, we, when we become real with one another, then we begin to deal with the issues that, that have been holding us back for a long time. And it creates great spiritual growth. We believe, and this is the one we're going to be talking about today, we believe, uh, we value fervent and honest prayer that unleashes the supernatural power of an all-powerful God. We're going to talk about that today. And then the last one is we value being generous with our time, our abilities, and our resources. And we're going to be talking about all of these. And for this series, we're going to shorten these values to people, truth, spiritual growth, prayer, and generosity. And over the next few weeks, we're going to take some time to talk about each of these and what it means to us. And as I said today, we're going to start with prayer. We value fervent and honest prayer that unleashes the supernatural power of an all-powerful God. You know, when you talk about prayer, when you, when you think about Jesus, you cannot think about Jesus or, or, or talk about Jesus without talking about prayer. Because for Jesus, prayer was, wasn't something 
that he just simply did. It was a lifestyle for him. We've talked about the, 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 before about Jesus' lifestyle of prayer. We, we, we've, in messages, we've talked about this, how at Jesus' baptism he was praying. The night before he selects the 12 apostles, he goes up on the mountain and he prays all night long. He prayed early in the morning. Uh, he prayed late at night he is praying. Are you starting to see a pattern develop here? Uh, at the transfiguration he is praying. Before the cross he is, is praying. On the cross he is praying. So we see that prayer was not just a spiritual discipline for Jesus. It was how he lived. And he makes it clear through his teachings and through his example, through the way he lived, that prayer must be a centerpiece of our relationship with the Father. And the rest of Scripture is going to join him. For example, in Hebrews, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Well, that's, that's the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews saying, I, I know that you're a scoundrel, I, I, and I know that it's been a while, but you're still welcome. I know you're not perfect. You can pretend all you want for somebody else, but I see you for who you are, and you're still welcome at the throne of grace. Because of Jesus. Then 1 Timothy, Paul says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, pray without ceasing. Now, if you're curious, that word ceasing in the original Greek means ceasing. <laughs> so, so just so you know, when you get to the original language, he's saying, don't stop praying. Now, already that's a problem for a lot of us, isn't it? Because a lot of us, we think of prayer as we got to get on our knees, we got to bow our heads, we got to close our eyes, and then we, then we go through our ritual and the language that we use and that sort of thing. But if, if we're to uh, have the attitude of saying we're, we don't stop praying, then if that's what prayer is, then we got a problem when we're driving. You know what I'm saying? Although I have seen some people that I think maybe they do have their eyes closed while they're driving, but that's a different story. Then James is going to say, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If anyone, if, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over the, him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. He's saying, he's saying basically, if you're happy, you, you have to pray. And, but if you're sad, you, you ought to pray. And, and if you're healthy, you really should pray. And if you're sick, you, you ought to pray. That's what he's saying. I mean, James is very simply saying, that this thing that we call prayer, prayer is the heartbeat of who we are. It's the heartbeat of who we are. But here's the deal. I don't think that I'm surprising anybody in here today by saying these things. I think we all know this. I, 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 whether you've been in church for your, your whole life or this is the first time you've ever been here, the idea that God's people should pray to him is not shocking. It is not revolutionary at all. We're not on to anything new here. In fact, if we sat down today and we began to take a poll, and if I asked you how many sermons you've heard on prayer and how many books you've read on prayer or how many prayer meetings you've been to in your lifetime, I think we would find a veritable mountain of knowledge about the subject of prayer. But here's two questions that we need to ask ourselves. Question number one. Why do so many of us find it so difficult to pray with any kind of real consistency? I mean, we, we excel at prayer when life blows up all over the place, don't we? 
I mean, all of a sudden, you know, when things go suddenly, uh, suddenly wrong, all of a sudden we become really, really eloquent. We're like, oh, Father, where art thou? You know, and we go into this stuff and I mean, we can just tear it up for hours. We can weep and we can we can just say, fix this. Help me. I love you. I'm sorry I haven't been here in two years, but I need you now. That kind of thing. We excel at prayer when things go badly. But why is it so difficult for us to do this with any kind of consistency? And here's the second question. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Let me answer the second question right off the bat. Prayer matters because everything that really matters in life is beyond the control of man. Everything that really matters in life is beyond the control of man. Have you ever known somebody that was very young and very strong and seemed very healthy who suddenly got very, very sick or was injured seriously? You've ever known anybody like that? See, when you're young and you're strong, you don't think anything's ever going to happen to you, right? You remember when you were young and you thought you were invincible? Anybody here? Some of you are like, I am invincible now. That's because you're young. And you don't know what, what life is, but, but most of us know someone who became seriously ill or got injured very badly when they were very young. And at the moment when that person got the news about their sickness, whether it was cancer or whatever it might be, how strong do you think he or she felt at that moment? Would you say that maybe, just maybe, the, the mirage of human strength was lifted for that person at that moment? You can exercise and you can eat right and take care of yourself, but you still have really no control over your health and how long you're going to live. Here's another one. Who can make their kids love Christ? Who, who can make their children love Jesus? I mean, you can, you can crush their little spirits and make them obey every rule in the book, but you cannot make them love Jesus. What about a clean conscience? Which one of you can work that into being? Which one of you can make your conscience clean after you know that you've done something wrong? How many of you can do that? What about peace? Where in the world can you find peace? How about forgiveness of sin? I mean, shall I keep going? All the things that really matter in life are beyond our control. The things that matter the most in life cannot be produced by man. Prayer. Here's the thing we need to understand. Prayer is not just hard for us today. It has always been hard for all people through all time. And that's because prayer is a humility issue. It's a humility issue. It's pride versus humility. We pray when we're finally humble, which is, which is exactly why we pray so well when our little facade of, of greatness and human strength gets blown to kingdom come because you have no pride left and you realize I don't have any control in this situation. Suddenly it becomes easy to pray. And, and I know prayer is difficult not only for us but for all time because even the disciples came up to Jesus and they said, okay, okay, we've heard you teaching and we've, we're watching you do this thing called prayer. So how do we do this? How do we pray? So if the, if the men who are touching, walking with, following Jesus, experiencing his presence in person, in the flesh, if they're going, how do we do this? Then I think, I think that's a legitimate question for us today too. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at Jesus's answer to the question when they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. How do we do this? 
And he's going he's to begin by telling them, telling us what not to do, and then he's going to tell us what to do. So let's read Matthew chapter 6. We're going to take it a little, just little chunks at a time today. We're going to begin in verse 5. This is the answer when, when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So, so the question goes out, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. And Jesus answers, and he says, let me first tell you how we don't pray. And he says, we don't pray to climb the Christian social ladder, and we don't pray to impress those around us. That's what he says first. We don't use prayer to impress. That's not what it's for. So if you pray in everyday English when you're all by yourself and, and, and you're just talking to him like a friend when you're all by yourself and then all of a sudden when you get in front of a crowd and you begin to pray and you downshift into King James English, you might need to examine your heart. Why did I do that? Now, you, maybe you'll find in there it's a very reasonable thing. Maybe you just grew up and that's what you always heard and so it's just part of who you are. And so maybe there's nothing wrong with your heart, but we really need to examine our heart if we pray one way in private, but we pray in public. And, and when we begin to pray in public, it just becomes showtime. In, in all of these, G Jesus is teaching, don't use my name to make much of yourself. That's what he's saying here. Luke tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector who were both praying. Luke 18, 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, if you're a guest with us today and you haven't heard our expression or explanation about what that means, well, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the religious ruling party. They were the, they were the ones they looked up to. They were like the pastors and evangelists is how we would think of them today. They were, they were the religious ruling, ruling party. And then a tax collector was a, was a really, really seedy position in this culture. They were considered, for a very good reason, they were considered traitors to their own people because they were raising money to support an occupying army in Israel. And they also, they also often cheated people in order to get wealthy themselves. So that's who's praying there, these two different people. The religious guy... And the, and the really seedy guy. Verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> I mean, can you, can, you, can you just feel the arrogance here? I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And here's my favorite part. Or even like this tax collector. So I love that he stops and he finds a guy in the crowd. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, that I, I thank you that I am not unjust and an extortioner and, hmm, sir, you there, stand up, you. Yes, you, stand up. Uh, thank you that I'm not like him. I mean, how does, how does it go so badly? How does he get to that place? Look at his prayer. Note, notice what this guy was saying in verse 12. The Pharisee, the, the religious guy, he's saying, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. In the scripture, we're not going to read the whole thing. You can read it later, but we're told that the Pharisee went away without being justified by God, and he didn't even know it. He thought he was perfect. He thought he was good. He was proud, but his prayer was really more about making sure everybody else knew that he had it all going on. And Jesus is saying, he wasn't even talking to me because men don't boast about themselves to me because I'm God and you're not. Right? 
You, 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 you're really tiny and nothing you do is really impressive after you consider the fact that I created the whole universe, you know? So you made a B plus in math. That's wonderful. I created the universe, right? Let me just give you a general rule of thumb. Biblically, when men get near God, they never bring up themselves outside of lines like, woe is me, or just kill me now, right? You, you tend not to bring up yourself in front of the creator of the universe. It would be much like bringing up the athletic conquest of your junior high days of, uh, of football at the foot of Mount Everest. You know, you're standing there with your buddy, and he says, isn't that mountain glorious? Yeah, about as glorious as my 40-yard touchdown return in seventh grade. Wait, wait, what? I know, it was huge. Are you, are you kidding me? You were 12, you know? I mean, that's what it'd be like. You'd be looking at that guy saying, man, everything is not about you. Look at this mountain. It'd be like standing in front of the Grand Canyon and talking about, about a, you know, a hole you once dug in your backyard. Oh, yeah, that's pretty impressive, but you should see the hole I dug. No, you don't do that. You don't make much of yourself in front of a God that is glorious. It, it, it's true. Men don't talk about themselves in front of God. They just don't. I don't think they can. His presence leaves us nothing but in awe. So don't use Jesus' name to make much of you because if you do, you have your reward is what Jesus said. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have my prayers answered than have the rewards of men. Can I get an amen? Let's keep going. Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, two things here I want you to understand. Number one, this is not an argument against lengthy prayers. And I know that. I know it's not an argument against lengthy prayers because Jesus often prayed all night long. Right? So it's not a, a problem. The long prayer is not a problem unless we're getting ready to eat. Then we got some issues. You know, I mean, you know that one that always going to bless everything before the meal. Before, you know, they got to pray for every missionary. And, and Lord, thank you. Lord, touch the corn on my right big toe and suddenly you lost your appetite. I don't know where that came from. I apologize for that. But uh, so it's not an argument against long prayers. It is an attack on repeating meaningless phrases over and over again without any sincerity of heart. I think this is what John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, was talking about when he wrote in prayer, it's better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. This is Jesus' way of saying, we have a relationship. I love you. I desire conversation. It's not that you pray the right things and you say the catch the right combination and so then i'll do what you want me to do you know i'm god i'm not santa i'm not check, keeping a list and checking it twice I, i'm god i want you to have a conversation with me because we have a relationship here verse 8 do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him Pray then like this. And now let me ask you this. How many of you have these next few lines memorized? We call it, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really, I, I prefer calling it the Disciples' Prayer because this is not him saying, this is how I pray. He's saying, this is how you should pray. So it's the Disciples' Prayer. 
And, and it's kind of funny because if you ever try to, to, to say it out loud with a group of people, it gets really weird at the transgression versus debtors part, you know, because some of you memorized that is debt and debtors and some memorized that is transgressions versus trans and transgressors. So it's just weird. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm chasing a rabbit there. Anyway, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. Now we find ourselves, here's a problem already. We find ourselves in a difficult time in a culture for us to capture the power of that statement. Because for many of us, the word Father doesn't carry positive connotations. There are a lot of deadbeat dads in this world. Our culture has devalued fatherhood. So we live in a time and in a culture that when you hear the word father, it doesn't always conjure up the picture in, in our minds that it really ought to. And so fa fathers, you know, we, we don't, doesn't always carry a positive connotation. But listen, for, for those who have, have been abandoned, for those who have been wounded, for those who have been abused, father doesn't carry the beauty that it's meant to carry. And here's what he's saying. Father is this really beautiful and descriptive word because it implies that he is above us and that he is more powerful for, than us. And yet he knows our name and he loves us. I, I really wish that we could get away from the we's and the us's and start believing the I's and the me's. Because I, I, what I mean is that we really don't have a, any problem believing that Jesus loves us, but many of us have a very, very painful time with, the, with believing that Jesus loves me. When we pray our Father, it, it's a way of saying, you're my protector, you're my comforter, you're, you're, you hope for me, you dream for me, you love me, you, you provide for me, and you know my name. You know me, my Father, God, creator of all, knows my name. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now here's the thing, hallowed or hallowed has kind of made its way out of our language, right? Anybody heard the word hallowed this week? You know, unless you were, unless you were quoting the Lord's Prayer, probably not. Hallowed is another way to say holy or sacred or revered. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, what we're saying is, may my life cause your name to be viewed as sacred and, review, and revered. So, so what, that, what this means is, my, my comforter, my protector, my provider, the one who knows my name, let my life glorify you. Let me be a reflection of your love, your mercy, your grace, your beauty, and your perfection. May I reflect for the world how good you've been and how good you are. Hallowed be your name. May people look at me and begin to reveal your name, revere your name because of what you've done in me. That, that's really what this says. You know, in a lot of ways, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in so many ways has been hijacked by often well-meaning men and women who think that the gospel has some kind of political or moral purpose. And now listen, the gospel has ramifications for both of those, but in its essence, 
It is neither. It is neither political nor moral. It is about Jesus and a relationship with him. It's about his name being hallowed. As he does that work in us, that's what creates the morality. That's what shapes our worldview, that sort of thing. But the gospel is really, in its essence, neither. And when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are, we are recognizing the ramifications the gospel has for how we live our everyday lives. Let me reflect your patience. Oh, my goodness. Why did I have to start with that one? Let me reflect your patience. Even when I'm driving in Memphis, Lord, let me reflect your patience. I'm praying right now. You all are on your own because the Lord is just dealing with me right there as soon as I said that. But let me reflect your patience. Let me reflect your mercy, your grace, your love. Use my life. Let me love my life, love my wife in such a way that the world sees you. Let me love my children in such a way that the world sees you in that. Let me spend my money in such a way that the world sees you. Let me, let me love my neighbor and live as a neighbor in such a way that the world may see you. Glorify your name in me. Hallowed be your name. My protector, my provider, my comforter, my father. Use my life to bring you glory. That's what's happened so far in just this short passage. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what that is? That is a prayer for courage. It's a prayer for courage. If you follow Jesus long enough, he's eventually going to take you to a place where you don't think you want to go. If you really follow him, he's eventually going to going to lead you up to this ledge and then he's going to say, I want you to step off this ledge in faith. Trust me in this. So we're following him and he's, it's working and it's bringing joy and he's stirring us. And then he t brings us out on this ledge and he says, step off. And at that moment, so many of us say, no, 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 I, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I can do that. So, and here's where I think a lot of us begin, uh, start to become damaged in our walk with the Lord because what a lot of us do is we say no to that moment, but then we continue to do the Christian-y thing, uh, you know, that, that we know we're supposed to be doing. So we continue going to church, we continue to read our Bible, we continue to listen to worship music, continue to do all that kind of stuff, but there's no fuel in the car. Are you tracking with me? That's where, that's where the mask begins to form because we're pretending like everything is normal when we've actually said no to the person we call Lord. This is a prayer that says, give me the courage to follow you no matter where you lead me. Not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. I, I don't like this, but I'm in. I trust you that you are beyond me, that you're smarter than me, that you see more than I see, and you love me even more than I love myself. So God, give me the courage to follow you no matter where you lead me. And, and if it hasn't happened yet, just, just wait until he gets into your money. You know what I'm talking about? Wait until you get that place where he's like, um, you really need all this. And, 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 you know, he'd be like, hey, you know, you know, if you just downgraded to that over there, do you know what I could do over here? And he starts meddling with you with that kind of stuff. If you just understand, if you, letting this go would give you more life. Wait until, wait, not only that, wait until he gets into your relationships. You know, hmm, you know, you've been a little bit of a betrayer here. 
You've had a little unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe it's time to confess. You know, all right, Lord, I'll just give me 10 years to get ready. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just wait. Everybody eventually gets walked up to the ledge. And he says, do something that you don't want to do. Everybody. And we're praying, God, give me the courage to follow you no matter where you lead me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's do verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now there are two parts to this, and we, we have to get them both to understand the fullness of it. But the first part is very simple. Give us this day. There are all of these beauties right now. This is the prayer. Lord, save me from the guilt of my past and the anxiety over my future, but let me be here today. Let me see what you're doing today. Let me be grateful today. Let me walk in the beauty of today. It's been a dark week, so forgive me, Jesus. Tomorrow is scary, but tomorrow is in your hands. So don't, don't let me be torn up with over guilt from yesterday and weighed down by the anxiety of tomorrow. Lord, give me today. Then he says, our daily bread. Not our daily steak, but our daily bread. Here's what this means here. I, I, I don't think this is just simply about simple living. I think Jesus is teaching us to pray, don't give me what I want, give me what I need. Don't give me what I want, give me what I need. Protect me from me. Anybody ever here glad that the Lord protected you from you? Most of us have lived long enough to be grateful that God didn't give us something that we begged for a few years ago. Like, like my daughters, you know, here's the thing. When they were little, and, and I have to admit that, that I have some fault in this belief, but uh, uh, they believed that chocolate was a food group. Can somebody say, somebody is getting mad right now, like, what do you mean? It is not? What are, you, are you saying it's not? Especially my youngest, my youngest, uh, she would eat and eat and eat and eat chocolate until she threw up. And then once she threw up, she's like, oh, I feel better now. Give me some more chocolate. She would, that's what she would do. You know, and, and if there was chocolate around, she would work really hard to find a way to get it. It started to become a little bit like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. There were ropes and pulleys and everything to get to where the chocolate was and that sort of thing. But, but, but if you put a bowl full of chocolate candy on the floor, she would eat every bit of it until she slipped into a sugar-induced coma. She would eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. Now, thank the Lord, as she grew and matured, she has much more self-control over that. But, but, but that's what she wanted to do every day every meal she wanted chocolate anytime she wanted anything she wanted chocolate that's what she wanted but that was not what she needed right and this is a prayer that admits that we're short-sighted because sometimes we don't know what we need isn't that true We've all, all, we've all been through dark times in our lives. And, and listen, if you're so young that you haven't been stomped to a pile of goo in life, I just have a word of encouragement to you. It's coming. You know, that's the way life is. But, but here's the thing. We're all going to walk through these hard times, these dark times. And, and I've never met anybody who got excited by those dark, painful times. That's not what they wanted. 
I never met anybody like that. I never met, any, I never met anybody who, who, who was entering into a very dark, painful season of life who said, yeah, that's what I want. Bring it on. You know, that just doesn't happen. But I have, however, met many, many people who would say on the other end of it, they'd say, I never wanted to go through those times because they crushed my heart. But those were the times that I came to know Jesus deeply. They would say, I never want to go through anything like that ever again. And I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, but I'm grateful for the painful times in life because I came to know Jesus deeply. In, in fact, in essence, what they're saying is, it's not what I wanted, but it was what I needed to draw me close to Jesus. Jesus teaches us to pray, give me daily bread. Give me what I really need, not just what I want. Protect me from me. Now, I want to just add this. I'm grateful that many times he gives me what I want because what I want is not going to be destructive to my life. But if it's going to be destructive to my relationship with the Lord, he's not going to give me what I want. Does that make sense? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. In verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I think those two ideas have to be tied together. In fact, in a verse or two later, he, Jesus does exactly that in his teaching. He said, if you, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, your Father in heaven won't forgive you. But we have to. And this text is a perfect example, once again, of how Jesus is just lining us up with how things really are in the realities of the universe. I'll promise you this. Forgiveness of others will become easier the moment you start being honest about yourself. Are you following me? The sins of others toward you will become easier and easier to forgive the more honest you are about you. When you quiet your soul before God, when you allow yourself to look at the darkest places in your life, you will recognize that you are, in fact, a sinner. You're a liar. You have used words to hurt. You've been jealous. You, you, so, you know, you haven't killed anybody, but you've only thought about it, you know. Uh, but when, when you come face to face with the depth of your own darkness, the depth of your own evil, you will find it much easier to show grace to those who sin around you. See, when I realize I'm a liar, it makes it a little easier for me to forgive when somebody comes and says, forgive me for lying to you. Because I don't have any moral high ground there, do I? It's the, the, I know this is a fact. That the fact is that a few of us want to walk down that path. Most of us just want to medicate and ignore. We don't want to see what's going on in our lives. However, if you will come face to face with your own junk, I promise you that you'll find it easier to forgive the junk of other people. Here's the deal. I know forgiving others is hard. Because when you do it, you feel as if, if you forgive, that somehow you're letting them off the hook. Well, let me just say two things about that. Number one, you don't own the hook. You don't hold them on a hook. It's not up your job to do that. And number two, when you hold unforgiveness, you're the one that's on the hook. You're the one that's trapped by unforgiveness. You, you're, you are. And so when you forgive, it's not about letting them off the hook. Because you know what? If they don't repent, 
They're still on the hook before God. He'll deal with that. All I can deal with is me. And I can go to the Father and I can say, Lord, forgive me for my unforgiveness. And when I forgive, I'm let off the hook. That's what really happens. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And here's verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, in, in the life of every human being in here, there's what scriptures would call the flesh or the sinful nature. Now, it doesn't mean the physical flesh is sinful. It's talking about our inclination toward disobedience and toward sin, toward rebellion. There, there's this bent towards sin in all of us. And here's the thing, it looks different in each one of us. We all have different things. Like some of us have this bent toward laziness. And if we were left on our own, we would never get dressed, you know, uh, left on our own. We would be completely unshaven with our, you know, with our pajamas on and nothing else, you know, that we, that, that's what we're bent towards. Now, others of us were, were bent towards lust. And by the way, lust is not always just sexual lust. There are people in this room that are, that are 100% or nothing. You know what I mean? They, I mean, they don't play many games because they don't play games. They master games. You know what I'm saying? And if they can't dominate them, they don't want to play it. It's, for some people, it's rage. For some people, it's jealousy. For other people, it's anger. But for most of us, the truth is, it's probably more than one thing. I mean, we all have this bent in us, this thing that woos us away from God if we're not careful. And you know what this prayer is? This is just a prayer for help. Help me. Heal me. Whatever's broken inside of me that causes this to be there, that woos me away from you, heal it, God. Help me. Help me. That's what that prayer is for. Our Father, Provider, protector, giver of life, bring glory to your name through my life. Give me the courage to follow you when I'm afraid, where, where I'm afraid to go. Let me see today and give me what I need today, not necessarily what I want. Forgive me because I'm just as broken as those I don't want to forgive and help me to be free from the sins that constantly beckon me and, and help me to heal. And here's the last part. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And, and, and this is a reminder that all of the things that we just talked about are impossible without him. It's impossible without him. Can we be really, really honest? Does anybody else here have uh, in, 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 people in this place, people that you've been trying to forgive for eight years or longer? You don't have to raise your hand on that one. Uh, but, but you, you know that th where you think you've done it, you know, and you're like, man, I'm walking in such freedom. And then they say something or do something and you're like, I knew it. I hate them. You know, just back all of a sudden again. And then you're then the next week you're back at the altar saying, OK, God, this time I really forgive. I mean, anybody deal with those kind of things in your life? Isn't the ability to forgive a supernatural act? Yeah, is, is it not a supernatural act to let it go and say, okay, Jesus, I, I don't, I, I don't want to forgive, but for your grace, because of what you've done for me to honor you, I'm going to turn it over to you and I'm going to forgive. They owe me nothing. Which, by the way, that's what forgiveness is. It's forgiving a debt. You're saying they owe me nothing. Not even an apology. I let it go. 
and, and to know the peace of God as Father, the, the peace that passes understanding, the peace that transcends a broken world. I mean, isn't that supernatural? You can't manufacture peace in your heart, especially when things go bad. And the human heart, you know what I know about the human heart? The human heart does not want, to, want God's name to be glorified. We want our name to be glorified. That's our natural state. And sometimes what we do, we like to attach his name uh, to whatever we're doing, but to try to glorify and, and say, well, it's all about him. But in the end, it's so often about our kingdom instead of his. And, and, and how, how can we hold in check all of our wants? I mean, honestly, for many of us, for most of us, in some place in our life, we're, we're no different than a two-year-old child with chocolate. We, we sit there and we gorge ourselves on what we want until we kill ourselves. We would anyway. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We are helpless and control is an illusion. So we say yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And when you do all of these things in my life, Lord, it's all about what you have done, not what I have accomplished not that I have been good enough. Not that I have managed to, to do these things. But yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Would you bow your head together with me? Father, I just ask right now, I, I, I thank you, Lord, for these men and women. And, and Lord, as we talk about prayer, this one of the, one of the core values as, for us as a church and and God, I pray that we would begin to, to see that, that our prayer life is really a reflection of how much pride we have in our lives. And God, if, if we're struggling in that area, first of all, God, teach us what prayer is, that it's not about just, it's not simply about the, the 15 minutes I get on my knees and close my eyes, but God, that it's about constant communication with you. And Lord, I pray that you'd teach us, help us to pray the way you taught the disciples to pray. Help us to, to put these things into action and to realize what we're praying when we pray these things. That God, that we would see that you are our Father, our Protector, our Provider, the one who is over us and more powerful than us, yet who loves us and even knows our name. Every one of these, God, I pray that you would work in us. And with heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around, I don't know, but maybe, maybe there's part of what I shared today that just struck home. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit has a way of directing what I say and directing the preparation, but also directing our hearing. Because I've had people say, hear things that I don't even remember, I never really even said, but they, they heard the voice of the Spirit. And so maybe there's something that struck you and the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, hey, you need to get this. Maybe you've struggled with the idea of God as Father and and today, he's trying to show you that he's nothing to be afraid of. That he loves you. He knows your name. Or maybe it's uh, letting go of, of, uh, of trying to control getting your daily bread or trying to control different situations. Whatever it is, whatever we've talked about today. Maybe it's protecting you from your wants and protecting you from you. Whatever it is that has struck you today. If there's something you'd say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want to take this to the Lord because I want to make this, I want to focus on this in the next few days in my prayer life because this is an area where I've struggled. 
This is an area where he's talking to me. And if that's you today and you'd say, Pastor, pray for me, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Yeah. Okay, they're all over the place. Yeah. Anybody else? You can right, put them right back down. It's really not so much for me to see. It's really about just humbling ourselves and saying, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. Anybody else? We'll wait a few more seconds. Yes. Father, you are our provider. You are our protector. You, you know our names. And it's, it's such an, an amazing thing to me that you know me. And Lord, I want my life to glorify you. I want, want my life to be completely built upon you, not on me. And I know, God, I'm not alone in this room in that. I know that there are so many of us that aren't even really sure what that looks like, but we just, we just want to spend our lives on you. And we want you to just paint beautiful pictures of your glory in us and through us. We want to reflect the grace and the mercy you've shown us to the world around us. And so, God, we just are praying, will you help us? Lord, will you give us the courage to follow you? Because sometimes it's scary to do, do so. Sometimes you ask us to do something that frightens us or maybe it's because it humbles us, but God, sometimes we struggle. So help us, give us the courage that we need. And Lord, I pray, would you help us just to see today? Would, would you kind of overwhelm us with how good you, you've been to us and how good you are today? As, as we walk outside, would you, will you let us just feel the air? I, I pray, God, that as we eat food with family and friends today and as we laugh and we tell stories to one another, that we would just kind of be reminded how holy that moment really is. And God, would you protect us from our wants? It's okay, God. We, we do ask you for what we want, but Lord, we pray don't give me what I want. Give me what, what I need. And I pray, God, that you'd forgive me for my shortcomings, my laziness, my, my betrayal of you. And everybody in this room is praying that same prayer, God. And God, I pray that you would help us to extend the same grace and mercy that you extend us to others. And I ask God for your help because I'm just like everybody else in this room We've got this junk in us and we, we've got this stuff that, and it just calls to us in weak moments and we hate that it's there and we want to be completely healed of it, God. We want it to be removed from us and we, we want to be whole. And Lord, we know you're taking us there, but we pray help us. And we know you're moving us in that direction, but I want to confess to you, at least on my behalf, in my life in front of these people, sometimes it just seems like we're going the long way around. But God, we just, I just want to say I trust you today. And Lord, today, that's our prayer. We want to say I trust you. We trust you. Lord, I pray that as we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we pray that disciple's prayer, that as we look at that, we remember what all there is there, God, in, in those areas that you're dealing with us. God, help us to focus on those, those places. And, and Lord, that we would learn just to release it to you. Because God, we pray because we know that everything that really matters is out of our control. So we humble ourselves in your presence. We humble ourselves in front of you and we, we don't make it about us because we can't talk about us when, when we're in, in, in the presence of an almighty, all-powerful, glorious God. 
But God, I pray that as we humble ourselves before you, that you would make our lives a painting that shows the glory and the love and the wonder of our Savior. That other people would see in us something that they long for, something that's missing. And God, then as, as it says in 1 Peter, that we would be prepared to give an answer to those who ask about the hope that we have. And we give you praise for all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.